Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I met Kelly McKinney out in uh, New York at the NDEM conference. As you know, I went out there to support Todd DeVoe and EM Weekly and the EM Speaks webinar series, and that was really great. Uh, Kelly and I ended up having lunch. We had a great conversation, so we want to continue that conversation. Kelly McKinney is over there at NYU at the hospital. He's working in emergency management. He has a very long title. I'll let him give his full title for you in a second. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, John. It's, it's great to see you. Great to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. And uh, like I said, I mean, I, I almost ordered a beer the other day when we were having lunch and I, I, I wasn't able to. So I feel like this is, a, this is just, a, this is just a, an extension of that, of that conversation we were having. That's right. In fact, um, you know, it's like my, my favorite thing is to find uh, like thought leaders. Or I even kind of hate that term. Like people who are really diving into the field and understand the nuances of what has been, what are the next steps. And um, that's why I think the conversation was really fun because it was, it was starting to hit into to some of those realms for me of, okay, like, what does this actually mean? Like the stuff we're talking about actually mean for our field. And um, it's, it's especially more fun because I worked at the National Cancer Institute, you know, the, the largest healthcare system in the United States under HHS. You actually work in an actual hospital. And so we, we've worked with this patient. We work with, you know, doctors and we understand how emergency management has to figure out how it fits in within, you know, the realm of organizational emergency management. And you obviously have a ton of experience there. But I just want to do a quick shout out real fast to Doug Baton because we both know the guy. He's a big fan of yours. He likes you a lot. And uh, he's been on the show. So I just wanted to say hi to Doug. Make sure you tune into this episode. I know he's listening. So um, the other uh, thing he, he, he's a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Doug Baton's. I mean, I could tell you stories about him, but you know, he's a, he's a New York city firefighter for a, but, but that's not what makes him so cool. He's a, he is one of the most, uh, one of the, one of the brightest uh, stars in, 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 the, in, in the, what I call the, 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 the new guard, you know, the, the young professionals that are coming up in the business. Um, he, he runs this, this group for, uh, for the red cross that, that, uh, drops into disaster zones and makes things happen. And he's, he's one of those guys that'll break rules to help people. And, uh, he's, he's just an amazing, amazing individual. So what's weird about what you just said, him talking about the dark teams, is that when I told Doug that you were coming on the show, he, he pulled out, uh, it could have been a script of talking about how great you were. So you <laughs> both are big fans of each other. So that's, that's pretty fun. Um, hopefully one day I can be that cool where some people, hey, here's these lists of accomplishments. No, the, no, no um, we get together on the side and like, it's, like a, it's like a mutual promotion thing that we do. You know? <laughs> how can I build my resume? Yeah. Right. right. Um, that's, that's an interesting MOU you guys have going on. But um, yeah. Okay, so let's uh, first of all, being in New York, um, I have family in New York. I've been there a few times, and I know I know uh, uh, some of the cultural th things you do and don't do. But I, uh, because Todd comes from that side of the house too, it was really fun because when I would hail a taxi, you know, the taxi would come up. I had to do is throw up your arm, but about five feet away from the curb, when right when it would be super embarrassing, I'd yell taxi. And they'd be like, ah, oh, can you not, can you not do that? So I had a lot of fun <laughs> pretending, you know, You're being your whole life to do that, right? I, it, yes. <laughs> I saw it on Seinfeld. I saw it on IT crowd, which is London technically, but yeah. yeah. Taxi. And then the other thing, um, 
I kept on telling people, forget about it. And they're like, seriously, you got to stop saying that. Forget about it. Don't even say that. That's a legit term. They've got it on signs and stuff around here. It's that's that's, hilarious. Legit term. That's awesome. Um, Before we get into like the the, the real conversation, now people are probably getting intrigued about what we're actually going to talk about. What are some things when people come into your city and you're just like, you just like kind of roll your eyes of like that super tourist. Like you, you can point them out of the crowd like super fast. Is there anything that they do besides screaming for taxis? You know, it, it, it's it, to me, it really boils down to situational awareness and knowing what you're doing and and stepping lively. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there was a there was a thing on Seinfeld, the, the soup Nazi. Do you remember the soup? Nazi yeah, the soup Nazi. Seinfeld? Yeah, so the, the soup Nazi was, you know, he was a, he's a perfectly a normal person, as long as you stepped up and you told him exactly what you wanted immediately and it fell within his rules and you moved on. Right. And, and, uh, you know, there's some great scenes with like George Costanza about how he practiced what he was going to say when he got up there. And it's the same in delis, right? When you walk into a deli, you've got to know what you want because like no one's waiting. It's all about waiting in New York. Like you have a thing called the New York minute, like nobody's got time. So as long as you're, as long as you're not in my way, as long as you're not slowing me down, as long as I don't have to break my pace when I'm walking down the sidewalk, it's all good, you know? And yeah. and that's the thing about driving in New York. I mean, when you think about driving in, in, uh, you know, in the rural uh, Midwest or something like that, and somebody's thinking about, you know, their, their issues or they're thinking about the football game on Saturday or something, and they're kind of wandering that you cannot do that here. Like people yeah. are going, you're going to, you're going to get run off the road. Like, so the drivers here are not worse drivers than anywhere else. They're just very impatient. They want, you got to know where you're going. You got to know what you're doing. Don't slow anybody down and you'll be, it's all good. Real quick. We're going to pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman emergency management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property and business continuity through planning, mitigation and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster tough technology. For more information on the COVID plus test, check out our show notes. Okay, let's jump back in. That's great advice for New York. You know, you, you said a phrase in there that um, we might turn into a quote is step lively. I think that's a great, uh, great advice just in, in a career, a great advice for emergency management. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, Great advice to be in New York and understand like your place in that. And understand like people aren't being rude, but they have a, they have a mission to fulfill. And um, you know we we talk about type one, type two, type three events. And I like to think there's type one, type two, and three type three people 
I don't really yeah. know what a type two person looks like, but I can always tell a type one in a disaster and a type three. Type three goes super slow. They're like moseying. They want to take pictures of the beach because they just saw a big disaster there. And a type one's like, get out of the way. I have things to do. I, you know, it's a life-saving, life-sustaining mission. And it was, it was very obvious for me to be able to see those who could, who could step lively. Gosh, I love that. And um, those who couldn't. So actually, that's a clever segue. Uh, that was me nudging you um, from across the, from the across the, the way uh, of a good call. So let's talk about how emergency management then, uh, just getting to the meat of our conversation, applies to what we're talking about. Because when you're talking about organizational emergency management and a catastrophic event, business impact that could happen to your facility, that might not be the regional event. That's that's not the the you know the the hurricane down the road. That could be literally um, you know catastrophic power outage, and you're dealing with you know, a hospital system that's requiring to be on backup systems. So, what is what is a catastrophic event for you? And have you articulated what you think is like your levels of threat? Does that make sense? Like, and in terms of an organization. Yeah, yeah you know the the. The, um, uh, you know, there's a book, the, the Taleb has the book, Black Swan. He talks about what a black swan is and, a, and the characteristics of a black swan. And, I, and in New York, I've been through three black swans now. And the first was 9-11. That's when I got into the business. I got into the business. I was the associate commissioner for environmental health for the New York City Health Department uh, on 9-11. I was downtown. And, you know, uh, I'll never forget the world changed for me in that moment. I'm looking up at the tower that the first tower had uh, tower one had just got hit and I'm looking up and I'm not really believing my eyes, you know, but but everything that happened that morning uh, uh, changed my view of the world. Right. I mean, we, you know, we all knew terrorism was a thing, but but it, we had a hard time wrapping our mind around that this was a terrorist event that was happening uh, right in front of us, right in our neighborhood. And, um, and so, but in the aftermath of that, it became, it became clear to everyone that there were all kinds of warning signs. There were all kinds of reasons we should have been getting ready for that. And we weren't. And right. so that, that really, to me, and it was a, you know, 9-11 was a, was a catastrophic event. Uh, not, you know, not in terms of, of the scope of its damage, although it was catastrophic, certainly for New York. But, you know, beyond New York, obviously, there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of collateral damage. But but psychologically, I think there, there was a lot of there was a lot of collateral damage. And then yeah, and then absolutely. Sandy was the same thing. You know, so when we worked when I was at the New York City Office of Emergency Management, where we worked for six years to build the coastal storm plan. And the whole time people were like, you know, we don't get hurricanes in New York. We just don't get them. It was the, the time we, the, the, the most recent hurricane we had in New York was in 1938. And so people had no memory of it. And then we got, then, then Sandy came. And after that, everybody thought that the only job we would ever have again would be a hurricane, right? Uh, and, and, you know, you can, you can draw the same analogies with COVID-19. It was the same thing, right? We, yeah. we did a lot of planning for, for pandemics and then they finally came, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how uh, your definition of black swan is not so much that there is you know, some people go hardcore with Black Swan. Like there could be no data whatsoever. It had to be completely novel, uh, or, you know, in, in, the, in the event. But the reality is if you're not doing anything to prepare for it or that memory isn't there because it's so long ago, it is uh, in, all, in all intents and purposes, it is Black Swan because 
now everything you're doing is in crisis mode. This is I, I actually did a just did an episode. We were talking about routine versus crisis mode, and you're in crisis mode if you're not prepared for it. And, and there could be lots of reasons. It's not just incompetence, but there's other priorities, right? Like you have to determine high consequence, high priority first, and focus on that, and work yourself down. So. It's not always like, oh, you're an idiot. Sometimes it's just like, well, there was, there's other things we had to focus on because the frequency is so low. So, yeah, I mean, talk, talk about three major events that you've been a part of that have been truly, you know, changing the way we look at things. Um, Sandy is a really interesting one that, that really was the foundation of what was it, 100 resilient cities? And this idea of like, how are we going to make more resilient cities? Which yeah. hilariously, they focus on mitigation, which isn't resiliency. Resiliency is bouncing back, and they're actually talking about prevention, which is, you know, disaster yeah. tough communities prevention. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of funny, but you you've been part of these major things. In terms of an organization, your your scope is different, right? Your scope, is, especially now at NYU, yeah. is yeah. To, to focus on the Im- immediate needs of X. Um. For those emergency managers who've only worked in government, can you just kind of walk through the different problem sets that you have to consider versus somebody possibly in government? Yeah, it's really it's such a great question, John. I mean, you know, here um, there was a there was a um, an article on our internal website about a team that uh, did a double lung transplant in a sixteen year old cystic fibrosis patient. So they they, she, her, her lungs were essentially turning to, to uh, a stone and, you know, she was, her, her organs were failing and they replaced, they put two new lungs in this 16 year old girl and saved her life. And yeah. that's the mission of a big part of my organization. And my job is to make sure that that mission can continue. So mm-hmm. it's about understanding what the core mission of my organization is and adding value to it, not taking away from it. Right. So, so how do you take away from it? Well, you take those, there was a picture of the team that did it, this amazing team. Like, you know, it just, it just, you know, it, 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 I was choking up looking at these people, like, how do you, how could somebody be so smart and, 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 and technically savvy that they could, save a, a, a human being's life by giving them new lungs. It's just, a, it, to me, it's just like crazy, but, but yeah, you know, what's the last thing I want to do is, 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 you know, Oh, I'll schedule a meeting. I'll get them into a meeting. I'll spend an hour and a half telling them all about what I do and why I do it. And uh, you know, then I'll uh, you know, then I'll uh, schedule another meeting for, for two weeks later where we'll go over more stuff. Like that's, that's value destroying. They don't care about what I do, right? All they want is that I'm going to make sure that if there's a disruption, I can I can minimize that disruption to them and they can get back into doing what they do quicker, right? And and so that's it's really about nimbleness. It's about their ability to to adapt to changing circumstances, right? Because not every day is a sunny day where you know, you can get to work just like you normally do. Sometimes, you know, there's three feet of snow on the ground. Sometimes the, the power is out. Sometimes, you know, the East River is flooding into the into the lobby. So so they need to be able to to adapt and continue to save lives in the midst of all that. And that's that's my job is to enable that. 
Gosh, man, that's that's like the mic drop moment. We always try to find these mic drop moments. That's a mic drop moment because what you just said applies to everyone. It yeah. applies to the Doberman side of the house. Of yeah. like, We always try to go back to our why. Our why is to innovate the field of emergency management, which is why we talk about this kind of stuff on our podcast. Right, right. right. But um, I gave this presentation um, in November to um, the, the teams that were trying to be certified, the, the medical side of the USAR house. So I went down to Orlando and I gave this presentation and basically my job was to teach them about what our emergency management in its truest capacity could do for them. And so that they can understand that coordination better. And that's exactly what I said. I said, my job is to make you as efficient as humanly possible so that there's no interruption to the mission. Right. And um, if we can clear out all the debris, all the other kind of debris and make things function and the backup systems and the, the supply chain and, you know, e- even the process in, in some case of making sure, again, lungs get there. Why, by the way, mind boggling to even think about that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were talking to uh, this kind of a side note, but a company was asking about transporting blood from one hospital to another hospital with the use of drones. And because of my experience with FEMA and drones, I was able to provide some insight. And again, that's an emergency manager. I'm not going to be a doctor transporting blood, but I can talk about the nuances of what it's like to transport blood from one location to another location and the the implications of that. And that's the job. How do I make them as efficient as possible? I love that. I love that idea. Um, There's a lot of things in our field, thinking of internally, that um, either we have, I want to say blamed, but we look at our assumptions and our assumptions, we say, well, they don't get it. Well, they don't get it. Well, the, the emergency manager, the best emergency manager in the world, the best coordinator in the world is reducing impact so much through that coordination that other people start to wonder, are, are they relevant? And that's the, the, the irony of that, right? But at the same time, an emergency manager has to be able to do messaging and make their case and, and to work with people in that. So if we're looking internally, what do we need to do to improve as emergency managers, whether it's an organizational level or beyond to convince our outside partners that we are actually doing the job that they asked us to do by reducing threat when they don't have a problem? Does that make sense? Like how do we, yeah, how do we it, 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 it makes, it makes so much sense. And it's so, I, I think, you know, John, I'm, in some ways, I think you've hit on the, 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 the real core question of, of our business, right? And, and, and what you said about coordination, I think, is the, is the piece because, you know, we're at, at root, we, we coordinate. That's what we do, right? We are, yes. we are the coordinator. So what is coordination? It, it means, to me, it means enabling effectiveness, okay? And so, so how does that work, right? And so, you know, uh, there are all kinds of uh, ways uh, you know, things can go wrong. Like, like for instance, uh, we, we're, we're working with our IT team now. They are, they, uh, they're doing this test of the connectivity of every device in our, in our system. And there are literally 300,000 devices and they're doing right. this test of all of them. And there's only one way to do it. And so they, you know, they're there and they're planning this test for about six months. And then the day before they send us an email and, it, and they're like, hey, by the way, we're going to do this test tomorrow. And we looked at this email and we're like, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those ones where the, sort of the hair on the back of your neck stands up because the risk is so enormously high. Mm. And you're like, you're like, 
you're doing this tomorrow. And, 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 and we're like, let's talk. So we get on the phone and, and, and it turns out, you know, there's all this, this stuff they're going to do and they had been planning it, but, but the, and they're like, we're talking about this for six months, but you're not talking about it to anyone outside of your team. So what are we doing? We, we started to, we started to gather people and yes. put everybody in the same conversation. And that surfaced a lot of things that, made the test go a lot smoother than it would otherwise. Have Amazing happened. how that happens, right? If you bring right. it. Yeah. Right. And all these people were like, you're going to do what? And you're going to do when? And, and so let me do this first. And let me talk to my vendor. And let me do this. And by the way, and so it's, this is, but this is the point that I wanted to make, John, is that, so we, we really, we had about, we had, we had a big initial conversation and we had all these breakout conversations and, and we ran all these issues to ground and we made the, the test a lot a lot uh, smoother. And, but, you know, now IT is just like there, and this is a great team, this IT team. And they're like, Hey, we, we did a great job, but the work we did is essentially invisible. All we did was get a lot of people together. So when coordination works, it's essentially invisible. That's our biggest problem is like, you know, nobody's going to point to emergency management and say, look what a great job the emergency managers did on this, on this uh, DR test. But yet, the work we did was so critical to minimizing the, the, these disruptions that could have been widespread across the system. So, but, mm. but that's, that's the thing you're talking to your boss and you're like, he's like, what'd you do today? And you're like, you know, I just saved the world. And he's like, tell me about it. And it's like, well, I had three meetings and you know, it, it just doesn't, it, you know, it's, it's it doesn't, not, it doesn't like, uh, uh, correlate. You know, I think the right. pandemic does highlight like, Oh, like that, like we need somebody to be coordinating. I think the world has kind of woken up that, that at least that's the yeah. hope. We keep on saying that to each other, right? In emergency management. Everybody knows what we do now. No, they really don't. But we like no. to think they do. Um I oh my gosh. So speaking of New York, I went to a bar and um there was like some so there was some like meeting happening or like some get, get together. So I decided to make an appearance. And um an individual, I won't I won't share their name or anything about them, but I know they're listening. They, um, um, they, they'd obviously, um, how do I say this nicely? They were at the point where they felt like they could be very honest. And, uh, she was like, Hey, <laughs> that's a nice phrase. Uh, she was like, Hey, I always, I love your show. I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, great. She goes, Hey, you share the same stories over and over again. You got to stop doing that. I'm like, you know, I'm a dad, right? Like that's like the MO of like, so I'm just going to keep doing it. So if you heard this story before, like, I'm sorry, but it's really relevant to this conversation. Our, um, so when I worked at the National Cancer Institute, I worked with, a, I call them the smartest, stupid people in the room, a bunch of PhDs. And um, they, they saw emergency management as a federal requirement and doomsday preppers. They don't want anything to do with us. So kept on suggesting activities, kept on suggesting ideas, weren't involved, didn't show up, whatever. Just kind of let us quietly do our thing. And there was an Earth Day coming up. And I, I found out the director was going to bring their kids to, um, to the Earth Day event. And so I was like, okay, like this is, this is a time to show a PhD that we think about things analytically and in a fun kind of a cool way. So... Um, there was another um, tech savvy guy in our department who's in physical security. And do you know what a do you know an augmented reality sandbox is? Yes. Okay. So for our listeners, um, basically, uh, we bought a, an Xbox 360 Connect, a projector, and we built a literal sandbox. And so, um, if 
I'm going to go into too techie here for a second, but an Xbox 360 can look at motion distance. And so if the distance changes, the color changes. So we put that over the sandbox. And as we moved the sand, it would tell the depth and the height and change the color of the sand. So it would look like a 3D plane. And we even built it in where I could, I could go really high up and they would tell it's a cloud and they would start pouring rain over the sand. It was really fun. And the director left, he, he came over there with his kids and he left his kid there for like an hour and a half. I became his kid's babysitter. But the kid loved it. Like all these PhDs were hanging out there. And it was the first time that I saw any real interest in our work. And we were explaining of if you're going to build another facility, we can do some math and we figure out where to put the facility. If it's low in the low, and we did it really basic for kids, but basically low means floodplain, higher means better. And we went from that. Every single project I wanted to do after that, I got approved. Every single one. My coworkers, interestingly enough, did not. And I, and I knew is because I had convinced outside of there is a problem and prevent problems that there, you know, there's a big part of our job that's messaging. And uh, Pete Gaynor said this on stage at uh, Endem. He said, you know, po- politics is built in. They have the authority. And so if we're talking, this is a long story, but if, if we're talking about how do I make myself have worth, I don't know. Maybe you should look internally and saying, how can I do better at trying to attack the situation? Sometimes it means building an augmented reality sandbox to convince somebody that you're not a doomsday prepper, that you like science. You know, it, it really comes down to us trying to innovate in, in positive ways and simple ways. Um, I'm talking too much here, but I'm going to share one more of the thought. This, this, is, the, this is where people will text me and tell me to shut up. But um, you're talking about coordination. And um, I've saw, again, another time where people are going to say, you've said this too many times on the show. My company's name is Doberman Emergency Management. I use the term emergency management. I'm an emergency manager. And looking back, I would probably change the company name to Doberman Emergency Coordination. We're emergency coordinators, and it's a much better term. But if but the the whoever came up with emergency management was a genius because we don't have any real authority, but because people hear emergency manager, they think we do. And so we 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 can this this plan the game. I'm I'm just wondering how we can re- remain clever enough to stay relevant in the conversation, especially after pandemic. Do you have this? Is where I get to shut up. Do you have any ideas uh, where you can help us be more clever in our approach to work with stakeholders who don't deal with what we deal with every day? Yeah, that, I, I love the story, um, John, and and you know, and I, I love that term. Uh, uh, smartest, stupid people. Um, and, 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 you know, cause, and, and I would never say that about anybody at this organization, but they're certainly the smartest <laughs> people that, I mean, I, I was not talking about NYU. Yeah. No, no, no. But, but, you know, you talk about PhDs and, and uh, you know, we have, so, so an academic medical center does three things. It, it, it has, it, we have schools of medicine. We have, uh, we do, we do an, an incredible amount of, a scientific translational clinical research. Uh, you know, we have we have almost 400 labs uh, that do research, and uh, and then we do patient care. Uh, obviously, we have, we have uh, hospitals do patient care, and so you know the the physicians, the physician side of the house, the nursing side, the clinical side, the 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 research side with the PhDs, 
and the, the, the faculty side with the professors. I mean, you want to talk about smart people. It doesn't get any smarter than this. I, I mean, right. I literally, I've been in this business 20 years, never have I met people that are more, uh, that are, they're, they're not just smart, they're, they're, they're brilliant. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're geniuses. And, and, and geniuses, you know, they don't get that way because, you know, they wander around, uh, you know, uh, 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 sort of dabbling in all of these interesting things. I mean, there's a focus aspect of being yes. a genius. And so, and, and, and the problem with focus, focus gets you, uh, it, it gets you towards your, your goal, but it, in some ways it, it makes you less uh, uh, aware of risks that, yeah. that, that are in front of you. And so that, that's, that's where we come in. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting what you say about the, you know, about Doberman emergency management and, and emergency management as a term for me, um, you know, uh, you know, the other, you know, we were walking into that restaurant and then uh, we saw, um, uh, uh, Eric McNulty from, uh, from Harvard, right. He was there and he, he, um, he, he, he wrote that book, uh, uh, you're it. Right. Yes. And and he he runs that 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 uh, that um, uh, the Harvard uh, leadership uh, course. What's it called? National Preparedness Leadership Institute. National Preparedness Leadership uh, Initiative uh, or something like that. Anyway, he's a fan of of uh, of Peter Drucker and Peter Drucker is the guru of management, not emergency management, but management writ large. And he's, and he started back in the, in the 1950s. So he goes way back, but he was the person who realized that uh, management is a profession. He was the person who, who turned it in and professionalized the activity of management because management requires expertise. It requires proficiency. And that I think is the lost uh, uh, element in some conversations when we talk about emergency management, we talk about all these other missions which are important, but it's how do we execute the management mission, which mm-hmm. is he calls it he calls it that he's he calls it you know uh, uh, enabling proficiency or uh, I'm sorry enabling effectiveness and it, that's what it is. It's like a, a manager doesn't do the work; they make sure that everyone else can do it better, and they. Uh, and they're constant and they're knowledge workers, right? Because they're 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 dealing with information, they're dealing with with uh, directions and their and and situational awareness. So so we're the ultimate managers in in, yeah. in in that respect, you know. I like that. And I, I think that's a I wouldn't even say that's a rebuttal. I think that's a that's a great value point um of why we need to be managers. Um, you know, we're talking about the smartest people in the room and um I've talked with uh, FEMA Region 10, Amanda Sayak, who's on the show um, several months ago about who the smartest person in the room is. And she kept on talking about the engineers and she kept on talking about the PhDs and she kept on talking about... And my, my rebuttal, an actual rebuttal to that is, is the smartest person in the room the most intelligent or is the smartest person in the room knowing who the most intelligent people are and relying right. on them? Right. And... Um, I, like it's funny when our company gets hired to do a, an emergency operations plan or business impact analysis. One of the top things that we call out in that problem set is we want to work with their stakeholders. We'll we'll coordinate, of course, with the emergency management office, but we want to know who all the stakeholders are. We want to have meetings with them. We want to know the capabilities, their competencies, and put that as a as a part of the plan. And people with 
not as much as experience or, or hasn't been on board with that yet, they're surprised by that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like that is, that is your group. If you can get, if, if you start getting pigeonholed, you called this out earlier. If, if somebody's working on a set problem set for six months and doesn't work with the other teams, then you could be missing something that other people can bring to the table. And so our plans, I'm going to toot my own horn here for a little bit. Our plans are really strong because when we put it together, half of it is just laying out, knowing what every single person does or organization does. And so the, the mission becomes more effective in their approach because I don't have to do everything. I know if I'm talking about accounting, DOT has, is in charge of that road. Right. I know the civil engineers are going to be looking at that dam. I don't need to do the, I, I don't want to do the survey of the dam because I'm, I'm going to be like, it looks fine. You know, like, and so I, I think that's a, a really strong call out and it applies across the board, whether you're in an organization or you're in a government to be able to do it. So um, I, I think that leads into the, the final topic of the conversation. Man, I could talk to you all today about this stuff. Um, uh, going into, um, the innovation piece of emergency management. We talked about changes. We talked about understanding like who, you know, your job. If you were going to change one thing about emergency management, if you wanted to see the next phase of emergency management hit that next ring of sophistication, what would you want to call out? What would you want people to hear? Yeah, I, I love the question, John. You, you, you know, when we, when, we, uh, when we had lunch the other day, we were walking out of that. Um, you and I had, had uh, attended that um, you know, that session with Todd DeVoe and Pete Gaynor and, um, and uh, Craig Fugate, right? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that Pete said, I think answers your question. It's it, because I, I thought it was, was uh, really brilliant. He said, you know, a lot of, uh, he said, he said uh, any company or corporation that seeks to sustain itself and be excellent has a pipeline of talent that it cultivates that that um, populates its its, uh, its its staff level, its management level, its leadership level, and they 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 create a mindset. They create they 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 Im, 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 imbue them with their culture. They they give them expertise and proficiency, and they're always seeking talent to put into that pipeline to build uh, to build the organization. He said, you know, emergency management. We don't have a pipeline. He's like, we need a pipeline. And I think for me, that's got to be the future of emergency management, where there's just it's this clear pipeline. That's how I get, you know, that's how I, I, I'm going to start uh, putting talent into this defined uh, uh, sort of. It's not just you know the, the 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 FEMA courses, right? It's 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 a it's a whole laundry list and suite of different things and activities and uh, 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 and proficiencies and skill sets that define how. Uh, a, you know, a baseline capability to, 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 to build your um, ability to, to work in this business. And then everything else is experience, right? But we do have this pipeline that, we, that, that allows us to build a pool of talent for these huge challenges that the nation yes. faces. Yes, exactly. And um, there's, uh, what I can say on the air is that there's more to come on that, but we are, we are addressing that directly. There needs to be standardizations across the field. If yeah. I go to a lawyer, if I go to a law school, right, and the law school will teach different things, but they will they will have a core competencies that they have to teach. If right. I go to paramedics, paramedics have core competencies, even though they might focus on different things. If I go to an emergency manager 
and I ask, what is the definition of emergency management? And I'm not going to put you on the spot. I will get a hundred different answers and half of them will say whole community because they think that sounds cute. Another, another one will say the, the five preparedness areas, which is you don't prepare to respond. You actually respond, which always gets me. But, you know, people go with these, these things that they, they understand from their personal experience alone right. or from their resources they've looked at. Right. We, need, we need to, across the board, to start to address what that means. And also, that will help us be more legitimate when we go to work with stakeholders. Because when they work with us, it could be somebody like you, a Kelly, the Kellys of the world who are just knocking it out of the park. Or they could have to deal with the John Scardinas of the world. And, you know... Uh, <laughs> You know, there's a problem there too. So, I think it's I think it's great to to work with standardization. And uh, if, by the way, if they don't want to work with us, I would just say forget about it. No, just kidding. Um, I don't know if that was the right sense. But yeah, good call out for sure. So, all right, on that on that awesome note. By the way, I think I, I do think I we can we can do that. So yeah, standardization is the the key of the future. Understanding a baseline competencies, the skills behind that. Good call yeah. out. Um, you know, Kelly, I just want to thank you again for taking the time. I have a very busy schedule to meet with me on the show, to laugh with me a little bit, to, to reconnect. And I'm sure we'll have you back on the show again, for sure. Thanks a lot, John. It's been great. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next one. That was probably one of my worst sign-offs in human history, but <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Kelly, again, uh, thanks for coming on the show. For everybody who listened to the show, I'm going to do the shameless plug, as I always do. If you like this episode, we want to give you a, a get a five star uh, rating. When we want you to subscribe. If you have a question for Kelly or about organizational emergency management, you can reach out a couple different ways. You can put your question on social media. We never have people put it on social media. We always want them to. They always send us emails. We like those emails. We can forward them on. But don't be afraid to ask the public uh, what that question is because there's a whole community. That was a kind of a pun. Um, approach to this and uh, Kelly can respond there or uh, we can email it on, on to him. So again, social media for Disaster Tough Podcast or you can email us at info at dobermanemg.com and we'll see you next week.